Zibbity bop. Welcome to Creative Block. We're your host, Gene. And V. We interview people in the animation industry about their life, work, and hobbies while we doodle jam. We asked people on Twitter if they had specific topics they wanted us to discuss, as well as some drawing prompts. And today with us, we have Jim Mortensen. Hey, Howdy. it's Jim. Hey. Hi, hi. Hi, hi. Good to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks for coming on the show. You are a board artist. You are a director. You are an, uh, a purple enthusiast. Yes. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <What did you laughs> I would say enthusiast, maybe uh, obsessive, maybe. Okay. Well, we all have a color that I, everything on mine is all like uh, orangey yellow. Mm. I think it kind of ties everything together. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know anything nice. about branding. Says <laughs> <laughs> so the guy who actually has branded our show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know if I did a good job, but Jim, tell us who you are and what you do. Uh, I am a supervising producer currently on Big Nate over at Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, I started all the way back in boards. Uh, I came from boards and Nickelodeon for a number of years, then went to uh, went to board directing on a board-driven show at DreamWorks, and then uh, was a supervising director for a little bit, and then came back to Nickelodeon uh, as, uh, as a supervising producer. Nice. Hell yeah. Yeah. Do you, well, actually, let's take it back first. I was gonna sure. get too too in yeah. the thick of it. Let's uh, let's talk about Little Jim. Let's talk about Little Jim and how you got your start drawing and uh, and into animation and all that stuff. Little Little Jim, um, <laughs> Little Jim never never really took drawing seriously. Like I'd always kind of drawn, but not really seriously or any sort of formal training. And I was always kind of good at computers, so mm-hmm. I. Uh, it, I went to a school named High Technology High School, uh, which kind of tells you what my course was going to be for a little while. Mm-hmm. And I uh, had never really drawn, taken it seriously until uh, I was in engineering school uh, and was working co-op jobs and doing like SQL programming at Cosmo.com and a bunch of like programming gigs. Mm-hmm. And I uh, really decided that I didn't like it and kind of had a kind of had a life crisis, honestly. Oh, no. And at 22, kind of reset my life. Went back to live home with my parents. Went to the local art school while or I, I had kind of decided that I wanted to do cartoons, that I wanted to do animation. Um, so I went to the local art school uh, for my associates while taking classes at SVA. I was living in New Jersey at the time. That's where my parents mm-hmm. were. So I was in New Jersey mm-hmm. taking classes at the School of Visual Arts uh, at nights and uh, just constantly applying, trying to get into SVA, and then eventually did and got into the animation program. Nice. How um, how many times did you try to get into SVA? I tried three times. The first time was a total failure. The second time was a less total failure. And then <laughs> the third time was uh, a barely almost a failure, but but it worked. That's that's just life, huh? <laughs> that's just <laughs> a yeah. series of failures until one that's not as much of a failure. Mm-hmm. Until somebody takes a chance on you and then then you're in. Pretty much. I was going to ask, what are the requirements? Like, what are, what is the application for SVA like? Mostly life drawing portfolio. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of, I think you had to do a self-portrait at the same time. Mm-hmm. But I, I was going to apply to CalArts too, but at the time the portfolio requirement said it requires laser copies of your portfolio and i didn't know what the hell a laser copy oh. was so i ended up not <laughs> not applying to CalArts because i felt too stupid. <laughs> 
That's so funny though. Like, why is it so specific? I guess like laser copy just meant copy, right? Like now I, that you, right? I, I, guess. I guess so. I, I, I maybe it meant like a like a laser printout or Dude, I, I don't know. When I applied to my uh, college, it was an uh, art institute in Schaumburg, Illinois, and mm -hmm. uh, they asked for my portfolio on film negative not even negatives it's like uh this the shit you put in slide like slides like slide projector oh, slides boy and, what? and i was like what yeah i'm not kidding and and i was like what the fuck is this and i don't remember if it was optional but you know i'm trying to make the best submission i can and so i had to figure out how to fuck to do that and so i went to like a wolf camera or something and had to like ask them <laughs> to do that and in retrospect i'm like why the fuck was that necessary why the hell like who is plugging my portfolio slides into a projector like Anyway. That's so funny, like the, the like the committee, like the judging committee. Yeah, they're like... all like in, wearing like black hoods and they're like putting it into a projector. Oh my god! <laughs> Do you yeah. see? Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's it's like a like a like an old smoky room where just a bunch of yeah. old men are sitting like around a board men, and yeah. like yeah, they just never like hmm. hmm. <laughs> they are. They were a bunch of old men, but uh, I yeah, I don't know. They probably threw that in the trash. Anyway, yeah, that's just, what a ridiculous Slides. thing to ask for. <laughs> when you were when you were talking about uh, taking classes in your local art school, were, like was it a, a school that was different from SVA? Was it? Did you go to a community college for? Um... Oh uh, yeah, it was Brookdale Community College, which was uh, right in my hometown, uh, oh. and they had an associate's okay. in arts. So I was just taking life drawing and you know, uh, learning learning what stippling meant, which I still don't quite understand. Right. Still don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's a bunch of dots. It's a name for a fancy name for a bunch of dots. Oh, okay. <laughs> that I can do. That's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How can um like kind of like reeling it back a little bit to you being in like computer science? Mm -hmm. What kind of made you realize that you wanted to do cartoons? And what made you realize that you didn't like to do computer science or well, realized I didn't want to do programming when I literally broke down crying yeah, in the middle yeah. of work. <laughs> Not That's a like, call. Yeah, it really was. And then like a week later, I had I left that job and left uh, left the school that I was going to. Because mm. oh, you were doing both at the same time. You were doing school and working at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. exactly. Uh, taking, you know, like Calculus 4 and, you know, mm -hmm. Pascal programming, which has, has really helped me in life so far. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, I kind of, I guess there was this, there was this uh, shore fest animation festival uh, mm -hmm. that came around uh, and they played, uh, they played a whole bunch of shorts. They played like Mark Osborne's more uh, was just a short done in like 2001. Mark Osborne like later did Kung Fu Panda. I didn't know he was going to do that. Um, like mm -hmm. Tom Winkler, I think it's Tom Winkler of duty.com uh, mm -hmm. came and showed a bunch of poopy cartoons. <laughs> I was going to say mm -hmm. with a name like duty.com. Yeah, it was like the first, it was like even before Strong Bad became a thing, it was the first, it was like one of the first big hits on the internet. It was literally just a cartoon a day, a Flash cartoon a day about poop. Mm -hmm. Teddy Newton was there, who I didn't know who the heck that was at the time, but, uh, you know, later went on to design The Incredibles and like was talking about oh, his yeah. quote unquote friend that worked on The Simpsons. Uh, and I realized later he was talking about Brad Bird. Um, oh. So it was this, <laughs> yeah, he was saying like, yeah, my friend on The Simpsons bitches about all these rules that they have on The Simpsons where, you know, Homer's mouth cannot be bigger than the thing that he's eating. It's really stupid. And I, like five years later, I learned that he was, you know, talking about Brad Bird on The uh, on the Simpsons. But 
that was like that that festival there was so much varied cartoons and varied film and varied animation and like especially mark osborne short like really blew my mind as far as emotion and i really connected with it and i really connected the whole short is about the but kind of the commercialization of art and how to stoke that fire within yourself, which I didn't really understand. The subtext kind of flew boom, flew by me as mm. uh, as a twenty one year old kid. But um, like I really emotionally connected with that short, and the music was really amazing. And I think it kind of stoked the fire that just kept burning from there. And that was like that was like two years before I dropped out of school, uh, before I dropped out of engineering school. So like it 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 buried its uh, its claws into my mm. head, and I didn't quite figure it out why until later. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to say. Like you were kind of thinking about it for a while. Like, um, so I guess you were kind of more like impacted by shorts and festivals or were you also kind of like watching a lot of TV as a kid? I never, I, I didn't watch a lot of TV as a kid. I mostly played a lot of computer games. I did a lot of like multi-use in dungeon, like basically the world of Warcraft, but the text version, like oh, I was yeah. on computers all the time and never really like never really connected with animation or stories until until I started becoming like my own person and having like time to myself as opposed to like going to school and, and working, etc. Right. And then like it was just a slow seeping of like, no, this is actually what I'm what I'm connecting with. There's a lot of weird emotional stuff tied up with that, but that that kind of was was my journey. Right. Yeah. I guess like maybe in the in the text games that you were playing like would you say there was like a lot of story in those games or it was mostly just kind of like puzzle solving there was a lot of story there was a lot of story uh, how do i say that there was a lot of like user generated story mm. not like not a story like you know you're playing god of war and it's a narrative story that's taking yeah. you through it's it's it was story that was created by the people it, it was it was basically like D D. like it was a right. it was a continually evolving story that was collaboratively told collaboratively told by the people that were playing it Damn, that's really and i cool. got really invested in that it was it was super cool and it was a lot of fun but there was no like output from it there was just uh, it, there was just an, an emotional experience that you had but there was nothing that was created at the end of the day when you were playing this game yeah well, so, I mean, but i but i connected with those emotions you know yeah i mean does it need to have a, you know like it was important to you right yeah it was it was like yeah it's it's like D because it's like yeah you don't really make anything when you're playing D D. it's just for fun yeah yeah unless you're matt mercer if oh, i feel yeah. like there's always <laughs> I like to kind of find the thread in like how people connected through th- stories, but like through all these different mediums. Cause like, obviously, you know, you grow up on animation, you go into animation. That's like a very linear kind of way of like figuring out that you like someone might love animation, but I like, I like other types of like ways of getting really invested into story, which uh, I think is really interesting with that kind of a, uh, with those kind of games and like D and D and like, kind of like those, like, like user generated content and all that because it's like very um like it's very like storytelling or like lore driven which is i think lore is like a big it's like a pretty important part of like a lot of animated shows i would say yeah yeah and like it's it's whatever gets you emotionally invested whether it's you know whether it's playing yourself and and getting yourself into it or it's creating something or it's watching somebody else uh Mm -hmm. go through emotions you know like i'm always i'm always interested in in the story and I get, I actually get, I get more excited by like, not by the the stories that I don't know what I'm drawing. I don't know what kind of motorcycle this just is. Follow, follow your heart. <laughs> I'm just going with it. Yeah, I'm just chasing chasing this dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, I get, I get really interested in in artists' stories 
more so than like actually making sometimes more so than actually making the show like i don't know it's weird like i get really excited when somebody gets a promotion or when somebody you know breaks into the industry or or puts a little bit of themselves in the story or Mm -hmm. in the show you know what i mean and like i i love watching final animation and seeing the board artist or seeing the revisionist or seeing the director or seeing the art director, like seeing the drawings behind it. Like whenever I watch final animation, I still see the animatic. And I love that because I can see like, that's a lake drawing. That's a, that's a cat drawing. That's a Heather drawing, you know? Mm, That's really great. Yeah. It's ideally you would keep as much of that as you can, but obviously things kind of, it passes through a lot of hands. And so boards rarely feel you know, one-to-one from the board, but yeah. Yeah. But even, even in a CG show, like what we're working Mm -hmm. on, I can still see like, Oh, that's a Ray pose the way that, uh, the way that Ray cocked the head and had an up angle on the nose. And, Oh, that was a really fun acting moment that, that Heather added or that, or the, uh, the board artist added or that the revisionist added. And it's like, I love seeing those little moments in the final animation because that that makes it all worthwhile to me. Mm. Yeah, fans pick up on that stuff too. It's always shocking to me. I've seen like breakdowns of like Steven Universe's boards, you know, like comparisons of like this was like this person's drawing, and it's like, damn, that really is that person's drawing. You like you start, <laughs> yeah. to, you start to really notice uh, certain things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Down to like. Yeah, don't, like even in the Looney Tunes cartoons, like you know, you can see Bob Clampett. What's a Bob Clampett oh, yeah. scene, or like what's a Tex Avery scene? And like you can still, you can still see that even though, uh, even though today's pipelines are a lot more smooth, yeah, and you know, are, are through many more hands. But yeah, it's it's awesome that you can still you can still tell a Jeff Lou drawing. You can still tell like Rebecca boarded this scene herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that stuff's really exciting because you want to feel. I you know, everyone wants to see the artist's hand. I think. But then they also complain about things not being on model. Or mm-hmm. It's two different crowds. It's two different crowds. Yeah, it is you know? two different crowds. You, you can't. You can't please everyone. You, know? you <laughs> sure can't. You sure can't. <laughs> do you? Do you feel like your um, like engineering computer background has kind of helped you later on? You know, with with uh, animation at all going forward. I wish I could say yes, but no, not really. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but you yeah, know, I mean, but that's you, you figured yeah. out that it wasn't for you, and so right. Yeah, I, yeah. It it helps in that like sometimes I can talk to the CG directors and like yeah, NURBS, uh, B splines, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. IK rigs, <laughs> FK rigs, cool, yeah, or like you know, uh, talking to we're running a shot a shotgun pipeline right now on mm-hmm. our on our studios, and I like I can understand the ingest process because I understand how XMLs work, so like mm, okay, that's, I can, something. Yeah, so I can like. I know it's helped me just enough to sound smart, but not enough to actually get anything. Yeah, done. but that's <laughs> that's fine. Most of the time, I just want to sound smart, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and honestly, that's what being a supervising producer is all about. Once you get to that level, <laughs> you just of want enough. Just... You just want to sound smart, so yeah. that people still yeah. respect you at the end of the day. Exactly. Exactly. That's interesting, though, because I mean, yeah, I th- I think it it sounds like it must help out even just a little bit but yeah i mean clearly you picked up on it wasn't making you happy anymore and so you you pivoted away yeah i was gonna ask um going back to sva so so you did some night classes before you got into the school how long was the school curriculum and how was your like experience at sva uh it was a four-year program it was a four-year bfa program and it was it's interesting because new york at the time 
was all about Bill Clinton and Don Hertzfeld mm -hmm. and Michael mm -hmm. Sporn and uh, John Dilworth and all these amazing independent animators. And that was kind of that was kind of a lot of people's dream to become an independent to be to go one of those paths and become an independent animator and you know make a make a living like Bill Plumpton mm -hmm. or make a living like Don Hertzfeld doing um, uh, doing your thing and it, uh, I I wasn't sure if I wanted to if I wanted to be in a big studio or if I wanted to be an independent filmmaker so I kind of like didn't really pick a lane mm. and so. So when um, when it came time to be applying to studios, like I didn't or after moving to Los Angeles and it came time to applying to studios, I didn't have the skills. I didn't have the technical skills. I didn't have the boarding skills, didn't really have the draftsmanship skills that it took in order to get a job mm. as a board artist so, um, or as a director or as a revisionist. So mm. I feel like like SVA was an amazing program. And I know like a lot of amazing people came out of that. I mean, Rebecca, Rebecca Sugar was like two years uh, I was two years before her, um, mm -hmm. and Phil Rinda. Phil Rinda yeah, Phil Rinda mm -hmm. was a was a year before me, and he was absolutely amazing. And yeah, like it was it was it was a great program. I'm not sure that I took advantage of it as much as I could, and I'm not sure that I was even prepared for it. Like you know, I didn't have like the five years worth of drawing or the ten years worth of drawing experience that like you know that Phil had or some of the other people had. I was mm. I was bottom rung. I was coming in like scraping by my portfolio was barely good enough mm -hmm. to uh to even get into sva so i mean it was it was it was the best i it was the best i could have done at the time sure how old were you this time i was like four years behind everybody because of engineering school so i think i was 20 25 when i graduated okay yeah yeah yeah. that's, that's still pretty I mean, young that's, though that's young yeah yeah because i feel like when i when i attended goblin like a lot of my classmates were around that age where like they started Goblin at like 24 or like wow yeah yeah because yeah um i feel like it's not it doesn't feel like there, it's there's all this pressure we talked about it before on the show too that it's like there's all this pressure to like figure everything out in your early 20s and yeah. like it's not fair and it's also not reasonable you know people try things they realize it's not for them they switch and and so like i think that's that's young that's still you know now, especially now thinking back on 25 it's like man shit <laughs> it's like <laughs> there's so much there's so much life ahead of you mm -hmm. I, it i was comparing it i was still friends with a lot of people in the engineering program and like yeah. you know by the time i came out to los angeles and was working like i got my first job working retail uh you know in 2006 and like half the people that i went to school with were like vps at at like Whoa. amazon or something so like all the friends that i was talking to and all the people that I had like connected with, because not a lot of people that I knew from my SVA class like moved out west. Mm -hmm. uh, so I kind of like uh, still connected with the with all the friends that are in engineering school. And it's like, you know, they're they're buying cars, they've put a down payment on a house, and I'm working, you know, oh, yeah. uh, working a twelve hour, twelve dollar an hour job in Los Angeles, quote unquote, living the dream, trying to be an and they, uh, it, it just felt like it felt awful. It felt absolutely awful. Did you feel like maybe you? Were you like going through a lot of self doubt kind of during that time? Oh God, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Like I, I didn't, I didn't get my first studio job until two thousand ten. Like it took, it took five years of of uh, of taking storyboard tests or taking prop design tests or color design tests and you know taking mm -hmm. classes and whatnot in order to get the first gig at Nickelodeon. And then you know, 
thank God for friends like Phil yeah. and Jim Schumann, like Adam Henry. And thank God, thank God that, like that they helped me through those periods because they were, yeah. they were amazing. Friends will take you far. Yeah. <laughs> you pretty much just, I think that's the, that's the important thing to always remember is like when you're coming into LA and you're fresh faced and looking for a gig, like just make friends. Like you, <laughs> it, it, it'll take some time, but that those connections will definitely pay off. They always I think that's so true. I don't know if I, I don't know if I already told the story on the podcast, but like when I, when I moved to LA, uh, the first thing that I did was looking for roommates that yeah. fortunately I was like, connected through the internet enough to like some animation people that I, I ended up having two roommates who also worked in animation and I feel like that really I don't know that really helps because it's like I don't know there's like a lot of reasons um but one of them is mostly like oh yeah like I'm, I'm not the only one like trying to figure out this like crazy because LA is so I don't know for me coming from France it was very different it's like so it's big there's shot, so many yeah. studios and it's such a it's such a specific industry i think in terms of like how casting goes and like how figuring mm -hmm. out productions and like studios how they're different you know kind of like uh, so anyway having two roommates that also work in so when did you when did you come out to la or i mean i guess oh, that's right you had a slightly different situation like what are, what are y'all's stories because i don't know i don't know i haven't heard your stories about breaking in yeah. Well, check out episode one and two of Creative Block. Oh, okay. No, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, oh, that's serious. I, yeah. V and that's... I, I think we were like a we came to LA like a year apart. Actually, I think. I think mm -hmm. yeah, you were one year early compared to me because yeah. you were on Loud House. You were in house on Loud House for a year. Mm -hmm. I was freelancing for two years prior moving to LA until they got the visa figured out. And yeah, I um I don't even know if I told the story during the my podcast, but like there was this crazy time where I was in iceland like doing a road trip with a what? friend and what i what? was like that was like a couple months right before like i came over to la and my roommates my soon-to-be roommates were like we found the perfect house because i was just like i trust you guys like i had never oh, met them wow. before i was like i trust you guys you're gonna find a good house and they kept sending me like what about this house i was just like do it do it i just <laughs> i'm in iceland i don't friend. care <laughs> yeah and then they were like we had to like sign to to notari notarize the lease yeah and the, because you're not going to be there in person and then i was mm -hmm. like holy shit you know like and you know how like the house market is crazy in la like people like rent houses or like apartments like super fast and they were and like uh teresa my roommate at the time was kind of like you gotta do it you gotta do it and i was just like through emails i was like just like we were just it's like nuts. road tripping in the middle of nowhere and i was like yeah. you know what i'll just i'll just use the internet figure out how I can find uh, someone to notarize my lease. And I went to Reykjavik and thank God, it's such a small city. It was really easy to set up an appointment. And so this Icelandic, not lawyer, mm -hmm. but like, uh, how would you, how, some, who, uh, how do you call someone who can notarize a document? Yeah, it's just a notary, uh, I think. Notary, yeah. Notary, yeah. Like, so this Icelandic notary was just like, all right, let's look through this lease. And he was just like, why is this lease 15 pages long? And I was just like, I don't know, man, it's LA. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. So that's weird. Really, yeah, that's yeah. crazy. That, it's like you have to. It feels like um, like a battle royale in LA to try to get an apartment. It's like whatever yeah. advantage you can get. We we like well, we had mm -hmm. to um, find an apartment. The apartment that we're in now, and I'm almost scared to move because of how like fucking scary it is to try to find a new place. But like we got here at like 8 a.m. to look at the place, and we were the first people to even look at it. The people who were moving out were still there. 
and we were like leaving and driving away and i was like let's just take the place like it was just like we had already <laughs> looked at like four apartments and it was like let's just take it let's just take it it doesn't matter yeah. like, let's just take it and uh but it's it was it was nice like we liked it right away but it was, i was like let's not overthink this let's just let's just fucking do it just do um it. but uh yeah i moved to la when i was in 2014 and i i was doing freelance for a bit mm. and um right as that job was ending i managed to get the gig on loud house and so um but i think um it was probably only like six months before v rolled in because i th i think it was in 20 did you start in 2015 v I did you move so. to yeah oh, yeah 2015 sounds right yeah it was it's probably september. only like six months i remember it was september oh then yeah yeah because i started in february so it was about that time mm. and it's been a horrible six years since uh no it's, it's <laughs> LA, la is great uh, you know it's there's ups and downs but anyway yeah like back to when you were like during those five years because i like to kind of like talk about those really trying moments for artists because mm -hmm. especially like because there's always going to be a moment during like a, an artist's journey where like you have to kind of like go through really trying times and that will t test like your faith in like this career and kind of mm -hmm. like how did you how did you get through those five years? Like what helped you keep the faith and like keep trying out for jobs, even though you said you had all of your friends in IT that were like uh, doing so well? Uh, desperation. <laughs> it was like the, all, the alternative was going back to programming or taking a tech job. And that seemed worse. Right. Uh, and I don't know, just being just, being stubborn headed and wanting to wanting to do it and be like no i can do this i can do this and uh i honestly i don't know i don't know what carried me through just being stupid <laughs> no, I think it's, it's, it's really funny because jared said the same thing but like i think uh what on his episode jared morgan but i feel like like for me i don't know like i had kind of like a, a moment like that when i was like around the end of high school because i was kind of already on the scientific path and i was i had a thought to myself which you know, it was extremely dramatic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I basically, yeah, it was kind of this thing where it's like, well, this is the, or this is this, or it is nothing kind of thing, right? It's like all or nothing. It's just like, this is the only thing I really want to do kind of like mindset, right? Yeah, it's like, if I, if I can't do this, then uh, what am I doing on this earth? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 totally. I feel like, yeah, I feel like this is definitely a very like, I don't know. Like sometimes motivation comes from, yeah, really comes from weird spots. Yeah. <laughs> so when during those five years you said you worked retail, what kind of jobs did you work? Uh, Apple retail. It was mostly Apple retail. Oh, okay. It was was a Mac specialist, which is what they call the people that sell you stuff. And then I was a creative for a little bit, which is uh, what they call the people that that taught the classes at the time. So like doing workshops and whatnot. And uh, was a fill-in uh, genius uh, for a little bit, uh, which is what they call the people that repair computers. So it was like it was mostly selling stuff. It was mm -hmm. it was sales techniques. You know, it was customer hustling. service. Yeah, hustling. Did you feel like you were in the cult because those names are so scary? What is, what is <laughs> that like feeling genius? What is that? The the problem <laughs> yeah the problem with that company is that they're really good about you making making you feel really good about being part of it like and there's some stuff that I've stolen from that like yeah 
like yeah they do a warm welcome like when you get hired hmm. you are supposed to meet you're supposed to walk into the studio or walk into the uh store at a certain time uh and i hope this isn't trade secrets i don't i don't think it is i think this has all been talked about i mean but you're supposed to you're supposed to show up for your first day at like a certain time at like 6 p.m or whatever uh and it's you and the whole crew of people that you've been hired with and then as you walk in there's literally just they come out from the back and they just clap you in and they just That's say like so we're, we're so weird. It's so weird. It's it's weird, but I swear to it God, works. it works. Oh like God, I get it. Works. Yeah, totally. Like, and I, I like I I stole that for trolls. Like, because when people were were coming aboard, like, especially in the animation industry, it's so hard to onboard people. Yes, so it's like you know what I mean. Like, you show up for your first day, and you you're like, okay, where's yeah. my desk? Who am I supposed to meet with? There's no like, there's no generally any clear. I I agree. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like your first experience of walking oh. into a studio where you're so excited about it. you're like okay where do i go who's the person that i talk to who's my supervisor etc cetera, etc cetera. so like like i i really wanted to make it the first moment of people coming onto trolls like actually nice so like mm-hmm. finding out that like okay they were gonna drop they were gonna drop uh, the new board artists uh on the production and they were gonna bring us into the production they're gonna bring them into production at like 10 in the morning so we would be like i would make sure that we were there and just there to greet people and like just clap them in and just be like we're excited awesome. to have yeah. you that's really sweet. yeah that's really cute yeah that that's that comes from a place of of uh, of love with apple i'm like mm. <laughs> it's like <laughs> inundating you into the cult but hey man I have, all i have is apple products so i'm part of the fucking problem <laughs> <laughs> but I, I i do i like being in the apple store i like i like going in i mean i don't like when there's a lot of people in there but there's just like i like how Maybe it's just my OCD brain, but I like how nice and like square it is, and everything's so clean. Mm-hmm. I think it was um, is uh, in one of Luke Hilly's comics he posts on Twitter. He has a character in his description that says like, as a hobby, he likes to hang out in the Apple Store, and I was just like, that is so specific and so funny. I get it. It's like I can see people. Yeah, I could like this is so rooted in reality. That's so it's, funny. It's very fun to watch people take selfies with a FaceTime camera on the computers. Huh. Like, like especially like circa two thousand six, two thousand seven. Like high school students would come in and just it was like it was like a fun thing that they did rather than going to the photo booth they would come into the apple store sure you know take 30 take 30 minutes with a uh, selfies of them and their friends and then email them to each other and then get out it was like a oh, weird social yeah. thing yeah but the, does so that funny. i mean apple probably encourages that right to a degree right oh heck yeah heck yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah. love it they absolutely love it it's awesome I mean that's the thing. It's like I feel like a different store would like kick them out, but Apple knows that it's about the 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 brand and like yeah. the experience and everything. Yeah, it's about smiling it's kids. Brilliant. Yeah. I remember when I first got my I think it was, it was like an iPod Nano, so that dates when this happened. But um, <laughs> but I I went in there and I was just like ringing it up and I was like looking down at the receipt or something, and then I turned around to leave and the the cashier was standing there with my bag with the iPod in it, like arm out, like, thank you for shopping. And I was like this dystopian, like weird futuristic <laughs> thing. And I was like, ah, I like scared the shit out of me. I was like, when did you, what the fuck? <laughs> but I mean, you know, it, it makes you feel like you're in this weird, like tech future. It's, they really think it through. That's so and it, and it, it works. It, it works. works. Do you it feel works. though like, being at apple also kind of like uh, an apple store like do, do you feel like that was that was kind of nice though jeff kind of like i guess like that family i i i do i do i i do uh 
and I, I loved the customer service training that we got there because mm. it was, I still, so my fiance and I both, uh, we met at the Apple store. So hmm. uh, that at least came out of that. So that was yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's great. But uh, they do, uh, the customer service training is 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 great. And they, they teach you to just to, how to help people like become become less frustrated and how to work with people and how to make sure that like that everybody has a good experience and like some of that training i uh, is i found extremely helpful just in the animation industry when you're just working with people you know yeah. and it's like it's not it's not like it's not like creepy like mind judo it's like it's proceduralized empathy mm-hmm. which is which they try to instill in you which I, which was awesome. It was like, yeah, it was like, you know, you have to empathize with this person. Like you Mm -hmm. have to understand that this person is having a bad experience or it is frustrated and it's not necessarily at you. They're frustrated at the situation. So it's your job to like kind of help them not be frustrated anymore and promise that you will take care of it. I read this book, uh, Nonviolent Communication, which I kept bothering everybody about, but it's basically Mm -hmm. kind of that. It's like the technique about like, trying to really empathize with the person before you ever even try to solve anything, any problem, and just kind of like really try to connect and to kind of like de-escalate emotionally, like the frustration and or like kind of like, I guess I would say what? like ne- negative emotion. Why yeah. just don't get empathy? Like, I don't know. It's like, it's this, as we've seen in the last four years, people have a really hard time with empathy for some reason. And I, I really mm. thought that that was a given, but I guess... And so if, if Apple has figured out a formula to, like, you know, teach their uh, their people how to, like, like you said, what is it, like, procedurally, uh, what you call is it? it? It's proceduralized empathy. Proceduralized empathy. That's, that's fascinating because at the very least you'll, you know, they know how to deal with people's frustrations. Yeah. And it's like, it's... It, it, it is like uh, fake it till you make it, I guess. It's oh, like, sure. you know, by going through the motions, like even if you think all the, uh, like the proceduralized stuff is crap, like by going through the motions, you find yourself getting in that emotional state of em- of empathizing. And like, it's helpful for both parties, which is which is what I love. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you got quite a bit out of this, out of this Apple job. <laughs> More than like from your computer. Well, it was five years. So yeah, I, I hope oh, so. Oh, okay. Five years is a long time. Yeah. 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 And uh, you that know, I got, uh, I got my relationship with the fiance. So that. That's great. That, that was, if you're listening, that's the best thing. How, how yeah. do you feel was uh, testing on, like doing tests on top of like working this job? Do you feel like that was a lot of work or like how were, how was your schedule like? It was, it was rough. So I was working part time, and um, okay. uh, I was was offered a full time gig, but decided that I didn't want to do it full time because mm-hmm. you know I wanted the time to test, and it was it was stressful. It was stressful because you have to because you don't have like eight hours a day in order to in order to concentrate on a test. Right. It was I don't know what the heck I'm drawing by the way. This is just I'm just mindlessly drawing. This is great. <laughs> And it was tough to juggle, like juggle, it's context switching. You would have to go work on the test for four hours and then go to work for another eight hours and then come back and work on the test. And it was such heavy context switching that it was like pretty, it was pretty hard to schedule everything or to figure it out. And, you know, it showed in the tests where, uh, you know, I was, I was nervous and kind of panicking and, Mm -hmm. you know, just trying to get it done and cram things in as much as quickly as possible. So it was a lot of like, there's a lot of like panic, a lot of like nervousness mm-hmm. about it. 
Is this something that you feel that now as someone who might be looking at tests for like hiring and stuff, is it something that you notice sometimes when people uh, send in tests? Yeah, totally. And that's why I am personally as a supervisor, I'm vehemently against tests. I'm vehemently against, you know, other people may have different, different opinions, but I'm vehemently against uh, sending out a whole bunch of tests to a whole bunch of people and then seeing what comes back. Mm-hmm. Because I do like it's it's an extremely tough situation. Testing is extremely tough on the testee because they don't have the context of what the show is of really what the yeah. show is about. They don't know what you're talking about or they don't know what you're looking for in the test. You, they right. can they can understand what you say, what you're, what you're looking for, but you know it's never quite the same as actually being on a production and being in the mix and having the conversations with everybody and you know being yeah. able to show things to a director. Right. So that's why I'm I'm personally strongly against strongly against testing unless it's unless it's like a role that somebody has not been has has not had experience in or like it's a step up. Right, 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 right. Like if it if somebody is in production and wants to take a storyboard test or wants to take you know an editorial test, I think that's like a different situation because they're making a leap or making a move right. over. But yeah, like. If it's just like, you know, uh, yeah, and we're working on a show, I'm hiring for a show, you know, there are a bunch of board artists that we're, that we're looking at that have previous experience, but you know what, let's test them. Uh, let's test them to see how they do and if they can hit the style of the show. That, I don't know, that's such a hard thing to hit and it almost, it, it doesn't necessarily seem like it's paid off or successful or is like a good experience for anybody. Right. So I'm vehemently against testing people in that in that particular situation yeah no I, I agree with that i i mean i think that at least at least have it be a paid test you know or like where people like i know some productions will freelance mm-hmm. treat treat the test basically as freelance and then they might use some of the stuff but yeah without having that learning curve it's it's really tough like you, oh yeah you're gonna end up burning yourself out on those yeah like freelance freelance quote-unquote paid tests like that's great that's yeah. that's perfect because mm-hmm. it works out for everybody like you get paid and you you get just uh, you get to be a part of the production and, yeah. you know, maybe. And that's how uh, Gabe Swar did that for me when I was uh, when I was coming off of my first gig at Robot and Monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the, the show was uh, unfortunately canceled and we were all looking for roles. And yeah. Gabe gave me a little bit of freelance for revisions. Mm-hmm. And I guess I, pat, quote unquote, passed the test and then he you know hired me as a revisionist on yeah. the show. Gabe's a good egg. He, I mean, he gave me the boarding job on Animaniacs without testing me at all. It was in, oh, like, really? Yeah, that's just that's just in his character. Like he he knew me. You know, we had worked mm-hmm. together on my short a little bit. Like he consulted on my short and um, just knew that I worked hard <laughs> and like <laughs> and uh, and had had seen my boards, but I hadn't done it professionally. And he was just like, "No, you, you can do it. I know you can." And like that meant that meant a lot, you know. <laughs> and so it's just like, mm-hmm. and then I try you know tried my best to rise to the challenge and. Uh, hopefully I did. I don't know. And that's and, and I'm I'm sure you, I'm sure you did. And that's yeah. and that's such a such a smart way to start a production because then everybody like comes in on a good foot. Everybody's like, heck yeah, you know, we're really excited to be a part of this. They're not exhausted by the by the test already mm-hmm. coming into it. Right. You know, it Definitely. feels it's like it's almost a little demoralizing to like have to test and then you know, oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, totally. yeah. I, yeah, I feel like yeah. I mean, there's so much we can talk about with tests. I but I agree with like everything with that you guys said i feel like the first time i ever got a job where i wasn't tested on i was just like oh 
really? I thought I was going to have to do this my whole life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was nice to be like, oh, nice. When I'm going to be 50, I'm not going to keep testing. I've been lucky enough that I haven't had to test since Loud House. And even that was like pretty lax because Amanda also was just kind of like working with me on the test, you know, and mm-hmm. um, I'm sure her episode will come out before. Yeah. And so I think we talked about it a little bit in her episode and like she was happy to give notes because it's like, well, I'll be giving you notes as an art director. So like, why wouldn't I give you notes on the test? And that meant a lot too. Yeah, exactly. Like the real world, real world working situation is going to be a, a working relationship. It's going to be a conversation. So why Definitely. shouldn't the test be part of that as well? Yeah. And you can't do that if you send out a bunch of tests too, you know, like that it's, they were being really choosy with who they were sending tests to. And so that at least then you can give that aspect of it over to you, you can, you can have a little bit of communication, but if it's, yeah, if it's like a bulk, like machine gun of sending it to, you know, 40 artists, like, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. you're not going to get to know them. How do you feel about like hiring somebody just based on their work or would you still want to, uh, get to like, you know, interview them and talk to them? Uh, I always want to interview. Always. Yeah. I, I, I always love interviewing because, uh, I mean, I, I'm just straight up a comedy guy. Like, I'm, you know, I've never hired for action. I've never really been on an action show. You know, Puss in Boots was this closest that I got to that. Mm. And uh, I, I find that the comedy is so relationship specific and so chemistry specific that like somebody, you can look at somebody's work and be like, oh my God, this is absolutely amazing. Like their drawings are amazing and it's so funny. And then when you meet them, it's like, well, they, they, they do not like me. You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. I'm going to be their supervisor <laughs> and they don't like me. And I... I, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work out. So mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, just like room chemistry is so important to me, even with editors, with, with revisionists, with the whole team, like, you know, you've really got to really got to make sure that the chemistry is, is good because then that's going to be the best type of show. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I always thought that that's really important. Like you want, cause you're going to have to work together in the same space and you want to make sure that everyone's going to vibe and click and like, Man, sometimes like one bad fit can kind of make the whole crew crumble a little bit, you know, where the drama starts to like spill out and everyone's like talking and it's like that sucks. And you can't predict that. It's really hard mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. you know one person's going to be going to suddenly become really difficult to work with, but like mm-hmm. if you don't even try at all then And like that 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 happened to me. I was I my first from Nickelodeon, I was hired at, at DreamWorks to direct on Puss in Boots. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was not a fit for that show. And uh, within, you know, within three months, I was fired on my birthday, which was hilarious. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, no. it was awesome. It was awesome because, like, I got they they fired me. Uh, and then I walked back to my to my uh, to my spot to collect my things. And there were the cookies with the balloons that said happy birthday. I feel like, yeah, those are like, yeah, this is like out of a movie, dude. Nobody got the memo that it was your birthday. Like that's, yeah. Like, I don't even know if I'd be mad. It was, no, I was, I wasn't at all. It was like, all right, fair play. This is fucking hilarious. I guess this is like a, it was kind of a blessing in disguise though. I feel like, you know, when you're not like the right fit for a show, like slowly, I mean, I don't know for me, I've been, I've been on shows where I wasn't the right fit and slowly I see myself getting more miserable and just withering yeah. away. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like, well, you're not the right fit. It's just everybody has like a different taste in, in movies. I don't know. Like I love the Coin Brothers. I'm sure some people hate the Coin Brothers, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. opinions at the point. So, Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, like, thank God they fired. And thank God they fired me. And they they just said like, you haven't, you know, we're firing you as the director, as a director on Puss in Boots, but we have this opportunity to board on King Julian, uh, which oh, okay. is blessing yeah. in disguise. Because that's how I met. That's how I met Mitch, our, our current EP, and that's how this role came about on on Big Nate. But like, it was it was a blessing in disguise. It was the yeah. first time that like, I I I, I realized that I, I have to be careful about the the shows that I work on because I might not be a fit for them and I may do a bad job for them. So I should take my time when, you know, when researching a show to work on to make sure that I'm a fit for them. Cause you know, it's a, it's a two way street. I may, I may not do action. Well, I, I will probably never do action extremely well. So, you know, got to be true to myself and understand that in order to be the best, in order to be the best that I can for the production, I have to do my due diligence and make sure that, you know, make sure that uh, I take a take a job or investigate jobs or investigate work that I could be the best fit for. Definitely. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been kind of just like taking every job that's been offered to me for a while and uh, just trying to build up the credits. But now I'm lucky enough to be in a position where I can be a bit choosy and like try to find something that that would really like, you know, get me excited. And I haven't had a chance to work on any like action comedy. Mm hmm and do you want to is that something that you're super excited about yeah well i mean definitely any kind of action but a lot of action shows are just so uh they're they're always like kind of like anime adjacent you know Mm -hmm. and um Mm -hmm. if i would have loved to have had a chance to work on some of the more cartoony action shows that you know that have come about here and there Mm -hmm. Uh, even something like you know if you worked on thundercats roar like that seems like that was a lot of fun yeah because you get to do a little bit of both exactly those are like really far and few in between like i feel like uh i haven't seen any shows like thundercats roar in like maybe mamal maybe yeah uh, yeah something mm-hmm. like mama yeah yeah they're hard to come by and i mean and that's what panic is too you know planet panic is this mix of comedy and action and it's like like i i grew up on pop of girls and dexter's lab and all these shows that was like it was it was that where it was funny but then it would have these moments where even if it was like tongue-in-cheek it was like badass you know and so mm-hmm. it's like that's the kind of stuff that i i love and i would i want to work on but i've, I've done comedy like those sakuga moments yeah mm-hmm. yeah yes mm-hmm. and so like i have done the comedy and uh and so i'm kind of like well i gotta i gotta figure out and also i, I want to get into you know full disclosure you and i <laughs> we were interviewing for a job and yeah i'm trying to get into like a leadership position and that shit's tough and it's like you're saying somebody just has to take a a, a, a chance on you and mm-hmm. and so that's why i'm being like very choosy yeah for me for me taking a leadership step was was i had to find a a specific opportunity for it and for that it was going from boarding on king julian to directing on home and that was like a a quote-unquote storyboard director position Mm -hmm. where like the only person i was directing was my board partner uh because it was a board driven show so they had six storyboard directors so it was the first time that i was ever like quote-unquote responsible for somebody else's work even though we were really like board partners and then like doing that for a year then uh, then i guess that you know i guess that transitions into like oh maybe you can supervise other people mm-hmm. it was a weird situation but it was cool i was gonna ask you jim kind of like can you run us a little bit through your career in terms of like what was your first gig and like how did you get uh, your first gig and then kind of like uh go on from there well as much as i complain about tests <laughs> i got my first gig through a, a test on robot monster yeah, there was just a there was a posting online uh, on the Nickelodeon website saying we're looking for board artists. And I happened to know Fred Seibert because 
uh, we had an argument <laughs> okay <laughs> in new york <laughs> interesting way to start a relationship yeah 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 and i was a i was a smart ass kid that thought he had really strong opinions about animation that sure. would you know that would pay off but they didn't mm-hmm. <clears throat> but he he had a contract in nickelodeon at the time mm-hmm. as, as part of the uh, the awesome i think it was awesome cartoons uh, and so I emailed him like, "Hey, I know Nickelodeon is looking for board artists on your show. Who can I who can I buy lunch for?" Mm-hmm. And uh, he gave me Adam Henry's name, and uh, I emailed Adam Henry. I was like, "Hey, I'm testing. Can I buy you lunch? Can I get some advice, etc." Bought him lunch, and then uh, did the test, turned it in, and uh, it made it way. It made its way to Jim Schumann, who was the supervising director on Robot and Monster, and he straight up said like, "Your test wasn't great." but I think you might have potential. And uh, he hired me as a board artist. Awesome. That's so great. Yeah, that's so great. And, yeah. and like I almost got fired within my first six months. Like I was oh. not, I was not a good board artist. I was trying my ass off, like working weekends, but I was not doing well. And it was, it was like a hard year of working on that show of really trying to, uh, uh, really trying to do the job. Did they uh, kind of like when you say that you you weren't good? Like, was it based on the feedback they gave you, or like were you just not happy with the work you were doing? Like, kind of how did you get? Because sometimes I feel some shows, you don't really know until they're like, bye. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, a testament to to the way that Schumann runs a show. The it, the feedback was very clear. Nice. And. I very much knew where I stood. I could tell at pitches when my pitches weren't getting a laugh. I could tell at my drawings that my drawings weren't weren't good enough. Getting a lot of feedback from my director. You know, at one point I was really struggling. And so uh, in order to give me a little bit more time, they freelanced half the board or Schumann freelanced half the board to, to the director at the time mm-hmm. or to the other director at the time, to Chuck Austin. So that all I had to do in three weeks was rough half a board, half an 11 minute, so I could really concentrate and figure it out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is like, that's unheard of. Yeah. Like my ass should have been canned like within my first 90 days, you know, cause that's the union thing. But no, they were very clear with the feedback that I was not hitting the mark, but uh, but Schumann took a chance on me and you know Chuck Austin took a chance on me and um, Sam Levine took a chance on me. and really helped me get my skills up very quickly and i am extremely appreciative to them for that yeah yeah when i was on animaniacs i was like such a talented ass crew that i think it was, <laughs> my imposter syndrome was just like going off the charts like the whole time and I really like, well i never got to socialize with anybody because i was just like nose to the grindstone the whole six months that i was on that show just like I got to make sure these boards are good. And so just like, and people were really nice and they were like watching like Demon Slayer at lunch and shit. And I, and they're like, do you want to, they, they kept asking and I had to keep saying no. Cause I was just like, no, I can't. And I was doing uh, development stuff. And so I was just like, mm-hmm. just stretch thin. And I felt so bad. Cause I was like, these are all really nice people. And these are connections that I'm never going to make never friends that I'm not going to make. Cause I was just like, just grinding and like, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, everyone was happy with my work, but it's tough. It's tough when you, like you were saying, like when you feel like you're not a perfect fit because everyone else was cranking through their boards and their, and people were like, yeah, like it's, you know, this is the best job I've ever had. Like I can finish early. And I was like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. If, I don't know if I'm getting the same, same vibe. It's kind of like the thing though, when you start in boards is like boards is just, is just such a hard job. It's like, I remember like the first three years as a board artist in France, because the schedules in France are also like, 
super tight. It's usually like between three to four weeks for an 11 minute with like cleans and revisions. And it's, it, it's just like, yeah, you have no life. <laughs> I was like, yeah, mm -hmm. I remember at the beginning, I was just like, am I, am I going to be able to do this my whole life? I was just mm -hmm. like, no, there's no way. There's no way like I cannot live for somebody else's project <laughs> until I'm 50. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, but but yeah. but then like after after the hump though after like those first couple of like three years it, it gets easier because then like you know like you you draw like a lot faster and you start to understand like even just like choosing shots comes like a lot faster it's like mm -hmm. speaking another language I, mm -hmm. I read that in the book I didn't make that up I read that in a book uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh like yeah eventually you're like you can get to that spot like those other board artists on Animaniac being like, wow. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. For sure. Was was Animaniacs your first board gig, Gene? Sure was. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Trial by fire, man. It was, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was a lot. And, uh, but I, you know, I'm glad I did it and I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. I just, and, and plus like, you know, I worked on the tail end of season two, so none of that stuff will be seen for, uh, I don't even know. actually. <laughs> oh I have, yeah. I, I have no idea when. And so people will ask me, it's just like, well, how did you feel when like the first season came out? It must've been great. Right. I'm like, I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> so it's hard to be like excited. I mean, uh, my girlfriend worked on that and so I was excited for her, but I, I had nothing to do with that first season, but yeah yeah it was it was a lot are you, are you glad that that was your first board gig like are you i think so yeah i i've i've been lucky to work on projects that that are like that have a name to them you know like loud house at the time when i started on loud house it, it hadn't premiered yet but then once mm -hmm. it came out it was you know fucking huge and so like mm -hmm. i've just been lucky in that way that like the stuff that i work on tends to have a nice heft to it and like yeah it was a lot but i and i would have probably done revisions to kind of work my way into that position but again thanks to gabe you know gabe mm -hmm. uh was just like no you can do it and so so i was really happy to but then i had to step back down to revisions because i was even deeper in development and oh yeah and very burnt out and so i i needed to i did revisions on jellystone for a year and so yeah you know i i needed the break <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah boards boards are tough what was your second gig, Jim, after that initial one? Uh, after that, it was the the revisions on Kung Fu Panda. Nice. Was it um C was it a CG show or was it mm -hmm. a two D show? Yeah, that was a CG show. It was the first Kung Fu Panda or the first Kung Fu Panda series. No, uh, when they were still doing uh, co productions between like Nickelodeon and Dreamworks. Legends of Awesomeness, right? Yeah. Is that the? Yeah, 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 exactly. And that was for Gabe. Mm -hmm. And I had I had also tested for Fairly Odd Parents. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me, like just as I was wrapping up on Robot and Monster. Uh, and then uh, I guess Butch was on vacation or something and, and like didn't get around to looking at tests uh, until like four months later. So I was a revisionist huh. for four months or so on Kung Fu Panda and then got a call from Butch like, hey, do you want to come board on Fair the Odd Parents? And that was my first 2D series and I was, I was terrified. I was terrified of having to draw on model to the point where like, I, I asked Bush, Butch to lunch, and we went to I think Zono Sushi in Burbank. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, Butch, are you sure you want me to work on this show? Like, I've never worked on a two D show, and I don't really know how to draw on model. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, you'll be fine. You'll be good. You'll be great. 
And I'm like, okay, cool. And then like immediately after that lunch, walked into Dave Thomas's office. I was like, hey, my name is Jim. Uh, you're an amazing board artist. Please teach me. Please teach me how to. <laughs> please teach me how to do what you do. I need fucking help because I'm gonna. I am gonna be terrified for the next nine months unless you help me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Dave Thomas was the founder of Wendy's. Is I guess his blog. I was gonna say um, the founder of Wendy's. Yeah, founder of Wendy's. Yeah. Yeah, he taught me all about working, about what it was like to work on that show and how to succeed and whatnot. And he was the only reason why I succeeded or passed on that show, I guess, was not fired. I guess any job where you're not fired, I guess, is a success. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's how I feel, too. It's like people seem to like me enough to keep me there. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like they can say, they can say that like we like your work, we like your work, but that doesn't mean anything until the end yes. when you haven't been fired. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like not being fired is the only. Okay, thing. so they were serious. They were they weren't bullshitting. They, were they actually did like my work. Yeah, yeah that's great. Uh-huh. Okay, okay, phew. Yeah, that's like I feel like that never goes away either. Ever. No. Um, God no. I'm sure. Yeah, once I manage to work my way up to directing or supervising, or whatever, it'll be the same thing. It's just like. Okay, for the whole season lasted and nobody fired me. That's great. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's really funny. When are they, that's what that's what it feels like now. Like when are they? Gonna, it's still imposter syndrome. Like when are they going to figure out that all I do is like pitch stupid jokes and editorial, and then the board artists do them, and somehow they get through. Mm-hmm. Like when are they going to figure out that I don't really that I don't know what I'm doing and I'm just making up nonsense in a room, and then <laughs> sometimes people get inspired by it and then do it. Oh, well, you know, you're guiding. That's ultimately what it is. It's just guiding people along. That's that's what this job feels like. It's just like being a cheerleader is in this particular role is just being a cheerleader for the for the team. Yeah. It's like just making sure that people are happy and making sure that people are set up well and like have a good schedule and like are having a good time with the content and like feel agency and feel ownership over their work. Mm. Uh, yeah. and then just cheerleading everybody, but like you're doing fucking amazing. Yeah, you made that meme, right? <laughs> the directing is like breaking down the script and then like most of it is marveling at the amazing job and then revisions is like the tiny little bit at the end. And it sounds like it sounds like bullshit, but that's legit how I feel. Like our board artists are amazing and seeing people add jokes is absolutely amazing and that's that feels like most of the job. Yeah. I think that's so true. I feel like I don't know, especially if for me when I started kind of like supervising, I was I had to understand like wow, not everybody works like me. <laughs> and then oh, yeah. you see like all the different ways of working and then you're like wow but like different is good <laughs> and it's like really cool mm-hmm. that's good because they're going to come up with stuff that i have no idea about or yeah. like I, I i don't know i don't know how to board like ray i don't know how to board like meg i don't know how to board like any of these people and it's it's not my job to tell them how to board it's my mm-hmm. job to just be a sounding board for what they try what they want to achieve yeah that sounds great exactly. Yeah, that's the stuff that I get the biggest kick out of is just like the 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 back end, I guess, you know, the like setting stuff up for for a team and then making sure that everything's moving on track. That's that's why like I'm so desperate to get into mm-hmm. directing because that's that stuff sounds very fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And then so and then when it goes wrong, you got to stand, you got to fall on your sword and be like, of course, you know, yeah. <laughs> I think that's- the adage is like pass pass credit, take blame. Like that's yeah, what it feels exactly. like. Like yeah, if, yeah. The, if a joke if a joke doesn't land, that's on me. If a joke lands, that's the board artist succeeded. That's exactly. the that's the other side of it. Yeah, is you're responsible mm-hmm. for all of it. It's true that it's like it's also it's like a weird thing where you're like you help a lot, you don't really get 
a lot of credit but that's also okay because like you said Jim, like just seeing like the border to succeed feels kind of makes up for like not having uh like a final product that you really produce right you know in terms mm -hmm. of like Like, you know, when you're a board artist, it's very straightforward. You, you do like, you crunch for four weeks, you get out like this board and then it's like, yeah, I made all those drawings. I, I drew all this. <laughs> and mm -hmm. when you're a director, it's like, all right, the episode came in on time and it's good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as long as it came in on time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And everybody had a good time on it. It, it yeah. is like a weird context shift of, I have, I have specific deliverables. I have a board that I have to do to, Yeah. You know, oh, I have to, I have to be managing my time and I have to figure out where to manage my time. And I, I like my deliverable is 70 to 80% to 90% of somebody else's work of the board artists work and the director's work and I'm, or, and the uh, editor's work. And I'm here to facilitate that. So I'm responsible for the episode, but I'm only responsible for like adjusting 25 to 30% of it. Right. And, you know, as, a, as an SD or as an SP, it's even, it's even less. You're mm -hmm. like, If you get if you get a joke in per episode, it's like heck yeah, all right, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I did something. yeah. Well, it depends on what you want out of a job too, you know. Because there are artists who love to um, put as much of their own sort of touch on stuff as they can, you know, like the the boards. You know, somebody there's board artists who are diehard board artists because they love to feel like an episode was like theirs and and uh, and all that. But I mean, mm -hmm. if that's not that important to you, <laughs> then then like then uh, it's exhausting to have to do that full time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was lucky enough to be in a position where I could say like, Hey, uh, EIC, Hey team, I really want to board the main titles. Is can I, can I do that? Oh yeah. Um, oh, that's great. Which was, which is cool. Cause it like, it felt like, okay, yeah. I did something. You're doing plenty. Yeah. It's all. Yeah. It, yeah. I'm sure you're doing a shitload day in day out so you were on fairly odd parents and how long was that and how was it for you transitioning from drawing for cg and drawing into for 2d uh that was for nine months i think i think it was nine months i think i had like seven boards uh, it was on season 9.5 uh, i guess nickelodeon did a half season pickup mm -hmm. and it was it was a struggle it was a struggle because on kung fu panda and on robot and monster we were using fbx as our objs and like Of uh, uh, basically models, 3D models of the sets. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was able to use those when boarding or doing revisions. Was able to fly through the sets and do camera angles and figure out, uh, you know, figure out how I wanted to stage a scene. Mm -hmm. But uh, 2D was the first time. I'm like, no, you have to invent the backgrounds. You have to invent mm -hmm. like uh, you have to invent what a train looks like in this world. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. Because uh, it was the first time that I was ever going to be showing roughs, too. Um, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And because uh, on, on Robot and Monster, it was three weeks to rough, three weeks to quote-unquote rough, but it was 11 minutes. So you could your your roughs could be relatively tight or could least, like least be relatively clear. But Butch wanted to see roughs for an 11 minute in like a week and a half, uh, which means yeah. like, mm -hmm. you know, okay, uh, uh, I'm just going to draw on the side here. But yeah, okay, definitely. like okay you know here's my rough of timmy turner like okay he's excited yay that's one panel you know <laughs> yeah you gotta get a like really that's a drawing and then like yeah like okay that's dad like timmy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you're like nobody's like can butch read that can butch read that okay here's a here's a shot like okay it's there it's timmy's room Timmy's here and he's smiling. Woo! Mm -hmm. 
I'm like, those were my roughs, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's terrifying to have to trust that somebody can actually read your, your crap. Yeah. I feel like that was like the one thing on Thundercats that I loved the most was like, we had, since we had half an 11 minute, we had like just a couple days to rough out like, I don't know, something like eight pages. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just that same thing where it was like, all right, how do I pick <laughs> what I board? Because I like it became a thing where like there was definitely not enough time to do all of the shots. Mm -hmm. So we ended up having to like trying to like be all right. So this is the big beat of this moment. So probably there's going to be this giant character here and it's going to look like this. And there's going to be maybe like all the little faces here or whatever. And it was just like kind of like um, we called them. What was it like uh, thumbs or like they looked like thumbs or something or like thumb mm. people? I don't know. Mm -hmm. And and then like just kind of like and yeah, it's like all right now you got to be really good at pitching because the drawing is this. <laughs> <laughs> this mm -hmm. is what you're gonna be looking at. It's good shape language. I think it also helps when, when designing a show to try to you know make sure the characters are all distinct so that yeah. you. That one. It's easy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what's the shorthand? Like, dad, dad on fairly on parenting. Go. Okay, that's dad. Or you're yeah. like, do a little cutout right there. You know, that's dad. I think mom was like, boom, 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 boom. Like, okay, that's mom. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Sparky was the boom big nose, boom, 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 nose, smile. Mm -hmm. Hey, like there's Sparky. There's the dog. Yeah, Crocker's got that fucking head, right? <laughs> oh my god, that that ear on the back of his neck. Yeah, there it is. Oh, I love I love that character. I feel like uh, I feel like what I I liked personally about like boarding really fast and like when I had to, you know, I'm not doing the apology of crunch time, but like when you're on a show where you have to be really really fast, it forces you to not be precious about the drawings and start just thinking about story and like the beats and i really just like i ended up starting to really appreciate that process of like being extremely fast and also then it's really easy to just throw away a whole scene because the roughs are so rough that it's like all right mm -hmm. not working let's rewrite this <laughs> yeah even even now on a show with a with a more relaxed schedule um like I'll, I'll try and board things as quickly as possible just to not, you know, throw on like, you know, like a three hour uh, electronic music DJ set and just try and cr cruise through thumbnails mm -hmm. as quickly as possible mm -hmm. you know, so to not second guess and then and then go yeah. back. That's so true. Yeah, it's like the whole second guessing thing. Like that's so that's so true. Like like having worked on shows that are like really fast paced, then you start to just kind of be like, well, while I like I did this thing and now and now I have a first version of the scene. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of crunching myself, like of giving myself a slightly unreasonable deadline in order just to get oh, sure. stuff out. Yeah, yeah. I think it's better to finish early than to, like I I've tried to condition myself to just cram early on in a um you know a cycle whatever it be an episode deadline. Mm -hmm. Like if if on Loud House like we would be getting two weeks per episode for backgrounds, and I would try my best to just finish in the first like three days, and it's like I was tired. But mm -hmm. then I had a week to do nothing, you know? And so it's like, <laughs> I was trying to create these breaks for myself. And then, but then there were people who were chipping away at it a little bit, which is fine. You know, if that works for you, it's totally great. But like, I hate that. Cause I, I think my anxiety is just like, I, I have this thing hanging over my head and I know I need to get it done. And I, 
I don't want to be working up against the the deadline that close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm the same. I get distracted if I'm not working as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, I I feel that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Like if I don't have like a really quick deadline, then I yeah. That's so that's so funny. That's so true. Mm-hmm. After um Fairly Odd Parents, what show did you go on? Fairly Odd Parents was Breadwinners. Mm. Oh yeah, that show looked awesome. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's disparaged on the internet a lot as, well, as far as as Brian being like two loud ducks like it gets a lot of hate on the um youtube and it seems like people d- don't particularly like that show or nickelodeon didn't particularly like it i don't know what the backstory is but yeah i had a blast working on that show like it was so much fun you know we were boarding to time we were boarding radio plays there were a lot of like fun expressions you know mm-hmm. the characters were really fun to draw and i i had a blast boarding on that show I feel like got the same. I don't know. It's kind of like Thundercats. It's like when say. you have like this like goofy humor, like with characters being like really silly for some reason. Like I don't know. People just online yeah. just don't like that. They don't like fun. <laughs> no. Well, the shows that well, they're not the, even the target demographic. So let's just let's just yeah. say that. Like yeah. the people who complain the most are not watching the fucking shows. So that that can just be disregarded but yeah it sucks it sucks because like i think the shows that board artists and maybe just artists in general like working on the most are (laughs) are the ones where they have the freedom to just do what they want to do to express themselves and people have all these weird like this show is like not on model and like (laughs) like there's all these weird opinions that people have formed about what animation should be Mm -hmm. it's like you're 30 like (laughs) why are you upset about this when you're 30 but I don't know. Kids don't know. I mean, it's, kids don't, don't care. I mean, like I would never know. Like when I was a little kid and watching all the Looney Tunes, I could not tell the difference between all the different directors or all the different eras. No, of Looney Tunes. no. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like kids don't yeah. care. <laughs> if it's fun. Yeah, and like my my personal philosophy is, you never really know how a show is going to turn out. I mean, you can have like the best talent, and everybody's having a blast on working on it and the show can turn out terrible yeah. for whatever reason. And so you might as well just have fun working on the show. Cause you don't have as much control over the final product over how it's received. So just have a blast working on it. Exactly. That is so true. <laughs> yeah, definitely. What came after breadwinners? After that, I got the directing opportunity at DreamWorks. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Puss in Boots, and oh, cool. that's you know the show that I was eventually fired off of for <laughs> good reason. That right. is so hard because it's like I feel like when you get the first time leadership position, I don't know for you, Jeff, but like I know for me, like that happened to me on Cry the Other Creek as well. And then it's like you're like, what did I do wrong? What went wrong? Like, and then it's like this, like I'm not supposed to be a leader. I'm a terrible leader. Maybe I'm just supposed to be a board artist until the rest of my life. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you felt that way. Like, cause right after Puss in Boots, you did you get go back to boards or did you? Yeah, I went to boards on King on King Julian. Mm-hmm. Right, that's right. Which was a which was an absolute blast. That show was a, a blast. But yeah, it went through a, a, a huge crisis of confidence. Of like, I, mean, I do I I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I I I didn't even feel like I should have been a board artist on on King mm-hmm. Julian. Mm-hmm. It was like. You know, I had a total crisis of confidence. Mm-hmm. And I think it took like a number of pitches of getting laughs to kind of build up my sure. my confidence again. 
to be like, okay, I'm funny, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like, especially because you said that you like to do comedy the most. I'm like, I don't know. For me, it's also something that I'm always thinking. I'm like, am I funny? Am I, am I like, <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. know. Because that's such a big part of doing boards. It's like, I don't know. Is it something? That I, I love, I love comedy because like, they say like, uh, they say like that it's it's a art, not a science, but it really is a science. It like, is. science, you, yeah. Yeah, you have a high like it's literally the scientific process. You have a hypothesis, which is mm-hmm. your attempt to, to get the joke across. Uh, you have the the test, which is the pitch if it gets a laugh, and then you get the data, and then you go back and tweak it if you do get a laugh or don't so get true. a laugh. Like That's it's so literally true. it's just repeating, repeating over and over. And if it doesn't work, you change it. If it doesn't work, you change it. It's yeah. and it's such a binary, it's such a binary thing. Like yeah, you, you know get what a you're laugh. Get. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Really you have a success condition. I was gonna say even beyond that, I feel like just the nature of it is you know it's timing and it's so specific it's like how baking is a science you know where it's like yeah there's a little bit of wiggle room but like you gotta take that bread out of the oven at the right time and it's the same thing with jokes it's like if you don't get that timing right it's not gonna land and that's not something that that's something you just have to like feel and know and kind of Mm -hmm. sometimes uh, you know you can try it and see what works. But again, it's the same thing as baking. Like, you know, it's like you might find little mistakes here and there or, you know, happy accidents, but, but it's pretty clinical at times. Like it, mm-hmm. a, a, a millisecond can change the difference if a joke lands or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it's such a, it's such a scientific process of, of human thought too, because like most jokes are like leading somebody to think one thing and then you pull the rug out from under yep. them. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the good, good Mitch Hedberg one-liners <laughs> and like, so it's a science of, uh, of what are you thinking at this point? Like I have said this, I have said this line, Psychology. what are you thinking at this point? You are thinking I'm going this way. So it's knowing the internal state of an audience and what they're thinking and then pulling the rug out from under them. And that's a science of like, you know, my, my fiance does user testing, uh, for software, for software applications. So very often she, uh, is, is just watching somebody use a piece of software and sometimes she'll stop somebody and be like, okay, why did you click on that? What did you think that was going to do? You know, and for, I feel like for us, it's the same thing. Like, okay, what did you think was going to happen? Uh, at this moment, was I successfully leading you down a particular path of thought so that I could pull the rug out from under you? And mm-hmm. it, like, I love the science of it in that part. It's so much fun. I uh, I, I went down a rabbit hole of learning a lot about game design when I first started at Nickelodeon. Ooh, okay. Yeah, because I think there was a lot of like video essay YouTube channels that had popped up around that time, or, or maybe I just discovered them, but. Yeah, I went down this rabbit hole and I, I learned a lot about storytelling through that, weirdly enough. And because mm-hmm. uh, there's this concept of like the first 15 minutes of a game and you want to establish, you know, story, uh, controls, uh, like there's so many things you're, you're trying to teach people without beating them over the head or, and, and keep them engaged. And like it, you're balancing so much and they use Half-Life 2 as an example of like a, an amazing mm. first 15 minutes. Because it's like you get the story beats, you get thrown into the the story, you get a wrench right away, you get all this stuff. And so they're like teaching you, or not wrench, whatever it is, uh, crowbar. And then, um, Mm. and and that's how I approach my short 
uh, for Planet Panic because I was like, tr- I was thinking, I was like, I have three minutes to try to do, get all of this story out <laughs> and, and a world and all these things. And so it was like clinical. Like I was really trying to like hone in on the important parts and making sure every, every joke had purpose and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I like, yeah, I think it's interesting that to think of comedy as a science because I think storytelling almost as a whole is, is kind of a science. But, um, but I guess it depends on what genre you're working with too. And, well, and I think, I, I think, I think I, I love the game design analogy too, because that, that is so important. It's knowing what you're communicating to the audience and getting them invested in a very quick way with a little bit of information, yeah. but also withhold, withholding so much. I see it almost. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's teaching. I guess I, I, I approached uh, my thing is like teaching the audience about the idea that I have. And, mm, uh, okay. and since then I've been trying to do that with, with with pitch bibles and stuff which is a, a never ending thing was it the, the 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 end goal keeps shifting <laughs> but mm-hmm. but when it comes to I, I know you know i feel like i i get audiences i feel like an audience is easier to please than an executive because mm-hmm. it's yeah it's like if it's something that's original you feel like it's 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 original and and the jokes land and you have a little bit of references to things you know there's all these little things that it's like you if you're paying attention to what people talk about online you can kind of figure it out. And so from there, it's just like treating the story as a way to teach the audience why they're going to like it. And that's kind mm-hmm. of, I've never really talked about this, but I, I, I maybe with anyone, but I, I find like an interesting to me, it's, it's an interesting way to approach it. And that's, that's why I, I like how you're describing comedy as a science. Cause I, I kind of think of it the same way. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 I don't know. I also don't know how else to think of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, also- it seems like, oh, oh sorry. No, I was just going to say, there's also just the fact that animation is usually so fast and it's just sure. like a linear medium. You just have to be so very, uh, like, not specific, but um, clear. You have to be extremely clear. Yes. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. because you, you just don't, because you don't, ha- you can't afford to not be clear or else they're going to, like, their audience is just going to be like, I don't know what's going on and then change channel or like Mm -hmm. check Instagram or any of the, so, you know, Mm -hmm. you have, yeah, you have to just make sure that everything is a little Lego brick that perfectly fits on top of the previous one. So it doesn't all fall apart. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And and I love watching uh, like street magicians or stand up magicians or even like Penn and Teller Mm -hmm. do because they are Mm -hmm. so like, since most of it's pantomime, Mm -hmm. I mean, like if you turn Mm -hmm. off a, like, you see what they are what they are driving you to like the simplest version of the trick is like look i've got an egg and they show you the egg and they shake it up and down a little bit to show to the audience like this is a real egg this is a normal egg it behaves like a normal egg and you know how that happens and then like takes a a tissue you know, like a normal Scott paper tissue and then like shakes it up and down a little bit and shows you that you can see through it to establish to the audience, like, okay, this is a tissue. Mm -hmm. And then like, you know, puts the tissue on the egg on the table. You understand how a tissue works. You understand that a table is hard. You understand that an egg is, uh, is breakable very easily. So tissue plus egg plus table uh, is one system and then if you take your hand and you smash the combination like the audience knows everything about a tissue the audience knows yep, everything right. about an egg the audience knows everything about a table they know you've driven exactly how that combination should work it should be egg everywhere 
but then boom mm-hmm. dove comes out for no particular mm-hmm. reason and like you know like in pantomime the, the stand-up or the magicians are so clear about mm-hmm. delivering every little bit of information so that they can pull the rug out from you in a really really clear and awesome mm-hmm. way i love that stuff it's and cool. i think that's so true because i do feel like like a magician's like definitely use the same skills as we use in animation it's it's an analogy that i've seen probably in a book before but then the more i think about it the more i'm like this is so true we're doing everything like the way especially with the way we board on 2d shows even even cgi shows because you have to have like the silhouette and like Mm -hmm. like breaking down every single little moment so that every single beat lands and then like uh, it's so mm-hmm. fun it's really fun yeah and, and, and eye dart can mean the difference between a laugh or not a laugh or a blink can make you know can make the difference between a laugh because yeah. you're <laughs> you're defining what that character is thinking or defining what an audience or what an audience should be thinking about this particular moment it's oh i love it i love it so yeah definitely <laughs> And yeah. after, um, so you did Puss in Boots and then mm-hmm. King Julian and then after King Julian? After, or after King Julian, I had always wanted to uh, work on a, I, I had always wanted to work on a board German show mm-hmm. and Thurip, uh, Thurip Van Orman and mm-hmm. Ryan Kriego kind of got my name. I, I'm not sure how they got my name, but they got my name through somewhere. And then they contacted me to test, to test on home uh, adventures with Tip and O. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did a I did a board test, and they liked it enough. Uh, you know, I did a board test like over over Thanksgiving weekend because mm-hmm. um, I was single oh, at the time okay. and had the time. And so I did the test over Thanksgiving weekend. It was like fifty panels, sixty panels, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then they brought me aboard to storyboard direct on on home. I was there for about a year and a quarter or so. I was working with uh, working with Dakota McFadson, who's an amazing cartoonist, and uh, worked on Arlo. Now, um, yeah, we were board hearts. We got partners together, and that was awesome. That was so much fun. That's so cool. And how was it for you being like an episode? So you were an episode director, right? But and like you kind of explained before, you're kind of like responsible for your work and the work of your board partner. Yeah, only in that Dakota had never boarded before. Dakota was a comics artist and had done. A whole bunch of amazing like four panel comics. It was doing dailies, daily comics for maybe like, I think it was like six years, seven years, something like that. Mm. And it was an amazing writer and amazing comics person, but he had never boarded before. So uh, I was partnered with, and I, I I was the one that had the most board experience, I think, of mm-hmm. the crew. Mm-hmm. So they they uh, I was partnered with Dakota because uh, I didn't have as much writing experience. So I was partnered with Dakota. Uh, he had the writing experience, uh, way more writing experience than I had the boarding experience. And so uh, they kind of launched us, uh, Ryan and Thurup launched us with the idea that I would help him get his boarding skills up and he would help me with my writing skills. So like technically I was technically I was directing Dakota, but I don't know. It just felt like a it just felt like a partnership. It just mm-hmm. felt like, you know, it just felt like we were jamming and working on something together and that I had the title for some reason, mm-hmm. but he was the funnier one. Yeah. <laughs> so like i guess i was kind of responsible but it it didn't it didn't really feel that way sure. it felt like an equal partnership they mm-hmm. didn't make like they didn't make have any kind of meetings without dakota or like specifically tell you like oh like the board should have been delivered the specific way no no yeah. not at all okay not at all it was really like everything was communicated to to dakota and i 
Okay. Um, and that's the way that like we that was the only way that I I knew and I think Dakota knew how to run that relationship. I don't, he might tell you differently, but that was the only way that I knew how to do it. It was like just right. treat it like uh, treat it like a partnership. Like yeah, we're both we're both in this together. We're both uh, we're both kind of figuring this out as we go along. Like uh, you know, but you know, at the end of the day, like any any responsibilities or anything that went badly like was was kind of uh, I guess was my responsibility. I see. Mm-hmm. But it never, it, ne- it never actually, I don't think it actually reached that point ever. It was just like Dakota and I always felt such ownership over the episodes and such, you know, uh, such a sense of duty to make the show as funny as possible that we, it just felt like we were in it together. Right. That's great. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was a uh, board driven show. It was terrifying. Yeah. How was it for you? That was your first board driven gig, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. Yeah, it's a lot. Did Did you ever kind of study writing or do improv or like study any kind of comedy before going into board, a board driven show? Uh, yeah, I had taken improv classes oh, okay. at the UCB in New York. I had done like long form Herald structure. Oh, you did? Wow, that's yeah. like really that's a tricky one. Okay, so you have a little bit of like a writing background through improv. Wait, talk about that because I I think I don't know what that is. I'm sure people would yeah. Know. Oh, at the at the time, um, this is the UCB Theater in New York. At the time, they were teaching long form Herald structure, which you know follows the the standard improv rules of like yes mm-hmm. and you know figuring out the game of the scene, figuring out status, figuring out relationship, vulnerability, passion, all that kind of stuff. Um, but the Herald was a specific long form structure where. You have a freeform game. I, I think this is the way that broke down. You have a freeform game at the beginning uh, where it's kind of like word association. And then you have three skits or, or three scenes with different partners. So like it'd be like two people and then two other people, and then two other people. And then you have a, a like an kind of an intermission game, which is, I believe, everybody. Oh God, I'm getting this so wrong. But I believe like everybody's kind of involved is kind of a freeform and then assuming that you found uh, you found a gag or you found the story or you found uh, the game um, in that first scene, in that first of those three scenes, you would repeat kind of that game. So it would be like freeform, one, two, three, freeform, scene one, version two, scene two, version two, scene three, version three, freeform, scene one, version three, scene two, version three, scene three, version three, and then a wrap up at the end. So it's like just kind of a formal, a formal structure of, uh, of uh, what long form should be. Interesting. Uh, and they were teaching that structure for, for a little bit. I'll have to look at because I'm sure that I'm getting that utterly wrong. It's all in them. If anyone's like who's listening to the podcast right now is interested in learning more about UCB, they have the UCB improvisation manual that you can get pretty much anywhere. And it's really, really, really great. It, it kind of goes over uh, that specific structure because there's like two different kind of long form structures. The first one is like having all these little skits like Jim just explained. And the other one is more like basically making up a whole theater three act play on the spot which is extremely daunting and scary and i don't know how they they just get through it with a lot of practice (laughs) it's like you were saying right v it's like you you build up those skills so it's like a a different language where you're just impulsively kind of figuring it out Mm -hmm. i think the the thing that i took away yeah i just looked up the improv structure and i think i got it Mm -hmm. kind of okay but the the thing that i really learned like they they were really teaching a book uh truth and comedy by del close and which I found extremely 
inspirational because it was talking about being vulnerable up on stage and figuring out the truth of each moment and living like your emotional truth up on stage and using that using that for for humor and it was the first time that i had ever encountered like bringing your personal life or bringing your vulnerability to the com to the comedy or bringing that in a way that it was basically like it's okay to feel like an ass all the time because sometimes that's where the fun is you know follow the fun and follow the fear Mm-hmm. And I, I I loved that part of it because it made it a lot easier to just be vulnerable and be an idiot on stage and hopefully get a laugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. It was like, but it was it's also like the emotional experience of like comedy never comedy doesn't necessarily feel good when you're when you're doing it. You know, it can feel like crap, and then the result is good. It makes somebody else feel good, <laughs> but it can the emotional experience of actually making it can sometimes That's be the... terrifying. But you have to live in that fear and that truth. That's the alchemic reaction, right? It's like you have to give part of yourself so that somebody else feels good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, just, just be an idiot. Just be an idiot. And that's entertainment, huh? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it feels like crap. <laughs> it feels awful. Most of the time, yeah. Most of the time. Most of the time, it's just sweating panic. It's it sure is. <laughs> And um, so I guess like, do you, do you ever like think consciously about like what you have learned in improv? Like, or like, do, do you feel like you've used some of those skills that you learned during improv? Like when you were doing, you were boarding on that board during the show? I guess so. I, I hope so. I, I, I hope I internalize kind of the yes and and the, the living the truth and, you know, figuring out, figuring out what Dakota and I were connecting with in a particular episode and what was exciting us about a particular episode and, and, you know, figuring out if we weren't connecting to a certain episode or a certain outline, figuring out why we weren't connecting it to it and just having an honest conversation about like, what are we not connecting to? What, why are we missing this? Why is this hard for us? You know, mm-hmm. and, and just, and being vulnerable, but also having that safe space to say like, I don't fucking know. I don't know what to do here. I'm, I do not know what to do in this beat. I don't know what to do for this story. But, and I feel like I'm, you know, like having the vulnerability to be like, I feel like I'm fucking up Yeah, that, utterly, you know, the trust mm-hmm. goes a long way in, in any kind of like writing situation I've learned that like you have to yeah. just be, be capable of admitting that you don't know how to solve a problem if you're working with other people. <laughs> yeah. Like, I know writers say it all the time, but like the bad, like when they pitch a joke, like the bad version of this is this. Right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like you have to, you have to, you have to get permission to do the crappy version in order to get to the good version. And sometimes the crappy version works, it's, but you don't want to feel like you're pitching the best version. Yeah. Of it. Well, mm-hmm. you know, and the bad idea can spark something in the other person. Like countless times I've had it where I'm working with someone and, and I, yeah, like you said, it's like, okay is there a something here? And you like give the, <laughs> the shitty, like, you know, the uh, bad nugget of an idea. And they're like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Hold on. If we change that, blah, blah, blah. And so it's like, you know, our brains can only do so much. So it's like, you, you, you got to be able to just put stuff out there. Yeah. And it's, it's terrifying to say things that, you know, aren't, aren't going to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh God. There is. And sometimes that comes down to like, sometimes for me that it came down to like, just complaining of like, Sometimes it was just acknowledging the, acknowledging the truth of like, oh, I, for some reason, I hate this outline. I hate this outline for some reason. And, and like just being able to say that in a safe environment in order to get past the, the, the hump or the friction of working on it. Because like, it's like you can say like, I hate this outline, but you're still going to have to board it at the end of the day. You're going to have to still have to figure out like, 
what what is exciting about it to the audience or what is exciting about it to the executives so like being able to being able to just be honest in a safe environment i don't know was i found extremely helpful what's um what's some of your favorite like comedy stuff that you kind of inspired you influenced you and kind of you're hoping to live up to i guess jesus live up to got i know but that's that's i like that question because i think i think everyone has something that they're like trying to reach you know yeah but that's also horrible it's like well you know i want to be the seinfeld of cartoons (laughs) yeah i don't know but you know what though like i feel like once i had lunch with an exec and i was just telling them like oh i love buffy so much i Mm -hmm. wish i could write like buffy but i'll never be able to and then she told me well don't say that because if you say that that means that you're already just like blocking like mentally blocking the avenue for you to just even go there Mm -hmm. oh that is so true i (laughs) allow myself don't limit yourself v don't don't talk yourself down no, but it's true, you know, like, you know, you have to allow yourself to, I mean, you know, like, without being obviously conceited or anything, just like, mm-hmm. just allow your, oneself. Well, yeah, it's a dream, goal. I guess. It's yeah. a goal, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I can say, like, I, I don't know, this feels weird to even talk about. There are things that, like, there are things that move me so heavily that I'm, like, I, 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 I hope something that I work on will reach will have the same emotion will have at least a sliver of the impact that this is having on me you know definitely mm-hmm. like like i watched like we watched mob psycho uh, 100 yeah. and we're like oh my god mm-hmm. this is so emotionally moving like it oh i i i i want to reach to this like, but I, I think that's it i mean you know that's that's an example that was that was definitely big for me. I loved Mob Psycho. That was so like I was like, oh my god, people are still making animation like this. I feel like I'd gotten so tired of anime, and then and then that one, I was like, oh fuck, they really did something different here. Mm-hmm. Even even like Yuri on Ice gutted the hell out of me. Mm. Oh god, the way that they introduce new characters and get you to care about them so quickly mm-hmm. and for in such a deep way for me, I like it may not have struck with some people, but like I it it gutted me and it i found it really really inspirational i was like okay god you know like i hope something i could do gets even a sliver of this close yeah and and then i go back to making and i go back to making fart jokes and butt jokes and you know, drawing ball cracks you makes, know makes people happy i hope so makes kids happy for sure probably what was the speaking of kids like was there something when you were a kid that you, that really inspired you I wish I had a simple answer. No, it doesn't not have to really. be simple. No, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't as a kid. There was there was a girl that I had a huge crush on when I was like nineteen <laughs> that really liked cartoons and really liked like fairly or not, um, really liked Powerpuff Girls and Dexter's Laboratory, and so I by proxy got into Powerpuff Girls and Dexter's Laboratory because you know I uh, I wanted to get with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found that inspirational. But then you know it, it transitioned into like finding stuff that really that i really connected with like that mark osborne chart like more or like even like kung fu panda mm-hmm. later or um you know or the emotional journey of some of those some of that stuff mm. yeah i wish like I, I wish i had like the yeah i saw bugs bunny as a kid and i wanted to do that when i was seven you know but sure. it, it, you know i never really connected with it until i like understood myself a little bit more emotionally that's fine too i mean yeah you, you figure yourself out as you go that's just life, baby. Yeah, and also, <laughs> yeah. like, things just, like, change. Also, like, I feel like some of the stuff that I really, really like, 
I don't know, you know, we go through phases. What is that thing? What is that metaphor? It's like people are like a flame. It's like always the same, but it's always changing. Wow. I know, right? I, I read all the all the books. <laughs> you do read all the books. <laughs> on spirituality or whatever. Um, but I mean, I make fun of that metaphor, yeah. but um, I really like it too. So Yeah, like, like Moss to the Flame, Burnt by the Fire, Can't You See My Love, Can't You See My Desire. Exactly. That's Jackson once said. Exactly. <laughs> That's the way love goes. It's true. Sorry for quoting Janet Jackson. Where did we? Where did this go? This is fun. <laughs> it's Monday night, and we're all just like tired. Just like yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's ask a question. We had a good question. Oh sure. From at Caro Kowalik, they were wondering uh, your take on crunch culture and how common it is on in the animation industry, and how frequently do people get burnouts, which we touched on a little bit. Mm-hmm. This this is a this is a tough one for me as a supervisor. Well, you um, mentioned that yeah, you you yeah. kind of like it for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's that's interesting because uh, if if that works for you, then it works for you. And if you have a way to kind of maintain that balance, because yeah, you can talk about it, you can talk about it for you as like an individual, as a support artist, and you can talk about it your philosophy as a supervisor yeah. concerning two that. different things. So you can have like two answers for that same question. Okay, let's see. I I find having for myself, I find having fast turnarounds and fast deadlines extremely helpful in order just to keep me focused and keep me motivated and keep me on task. And, uh, you know, just producing just producing as much as possible, as, as quickly as possible in order to get it out there and at least have something to talk about. You know, like, like, they t- like writers talk about having the vomit draft. Like I try to get the vomit draft of the board mm-hmm. so I find... Uh, or of the episode, or of you know, uh, or of the main title, or, or whatnot. So I, I find that very useful for myself to to crunch as quickly as possible in order just to get it out. So at least there's something to talk about, and at least you'll have like the shape of the whole thing. As a supervisor, I try to make sure that everybody has the time that they need in order to to finish in order to get a pass on the board in order to not be super stressed about racing or about hitting the deadline so as for me as a supervisor i it i feel like it's my job to try and and uh, avoid a culture of crunch and Mm -hmm. set up everybody for success in a way that helps them helps them feel supported down to the schedule down to how many board artists are on an episode down to you know if somebody if somebody needs a week off because something happened that was personal finding finding a way to get coverage for that person or finding a way to help them out you know if somebody if somebody has an off week or if somebody you know is a little bit lighter you know uh, helping them helping to find some support for the board artists. Mm-hmm. So I it's I feel like it's it's my job as a supervisor to to try to try and avoid a crunch culture, to try and avoid getting into problems because like we I think we're all we're all in this industry for life, you know. And like we talked about a little earlier, like a show can turn out horrible and you never really know you can have the best team possible on a show, but a show can be awful at the end. Um, and you never really know how a show is going to turn out. So the experience of making it is as important as the as the content of the show itself, because uh, you know we're all humans. We're all we all just want to have a good working experience. And 
we want to well we want to all be happy at the end of the day and you know i read articles about like writing rooms like modern family and i think there's an article like maybe five ten years ago about the modern family writing room about just how well that show is run and how supported all the writers feel Hmm. on that and like how it's a how it is like it is like a job to them it is like a nine to six writing job Mm -hmm. but that show won you know a whole bunch of emmys and it was a great show and ran for many 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 years and uh dave thomas on fairly odd parents talked about that too a little bit like you know making sure about completing boards on time and not not killing yourself and i i i personally personally don't think that it takes crunch culture in order to make anything great i think i think you can make an amazing an amazing show and everybody can put their heart into it and everybody can be have a great time working on it and it can be done you know within a 40-hour work week definitely i agree i feel like also like what you were talking about like figuring out like the different ways to give resources to the team it's kind of something that moving to la i didn't realize because like france like the shows are so limited in terms of resources in terms of like budget and the schedule that it's something that was kind of new to me but it's always kind of like something that i felt like here in la like if something is kind of impossible (laughs) like a a deadline Mm -hmm. can't be met or like yeah you have to take two weeks off for, for something personal like people can actually like productions are more flexible than we think like freelancers are available there's like a lot of talent in this town mm-hmm. so yeah it's it's really it's all about like communication and i think that's a that's really great as well yeah and and it i think it, it comes from it comes from from the top it comes from leadership as well and we have yeah. an incredible ep on big nate that like is extremely supportive of the board artists and mm-hmm. knows like has been running shows for for a number of years and uh, you know, I have nothing but respect for for Mitch the way that he has set this show up. Even before I got there, uh, set the show up for success just in the way that the teams are run and the you know the, the amount of support that we have and the scripts that are coming in. Like that stuff is is so important, and I and I, I hope that the team that the team feels supported because I think it's yeah. extremely important to everybody everybody at Nickelodeon. I know, but everybody like everybody in leadership on the show that everybody has a good time. Yeah. yeah, we had a pretty good pipeline on Loud House, and I think that kept a lot of people there for much longer than they might have if it, if it was a mess. You know, <laughs> like we yeah. our crew was really fucking stable for for years, and uh, eventually people just got tired of doing the same thing. You know, and so that's that's why a lot of people started leaving. I think, but yeah, the the skip weeks that we had were like amazing. Like the skip weeks are a thing that is like always a hard sell, I think, to any network. But it's like, hey, I know that it seems like it's wasted time, but it's not because you're going to – things always go over over schedule, over deadlines, and so you have this minute to catch up and people can rest. And it's yeah. just it's just good to, good to keep people's lives in mind, the work-life balance. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, like if your artists are <laughs> like burning themselves out within like four months, then they're not gonna be able to keep putting out good work. Yeah, like I don't I don't want any of our artists to burn out. Like I, I love I love the commitment and I love the passion and bringing so much of yourself to it. But for God's sakes, like like Schumann, Jim Schumann says this all the time, like it's a marathon, not a sprint. So you're building yeah. you're working on a show for 
a year and a half like don't burn yourself out in the first six weeks take take the time take the time and take care of yourself and you know get an an adequate amount of sleep and exercise and like you know eat well because that's like you're a human man yeah (laughs) you know come on (laughs) we are yeah it's a biological beings it's definitely a, a toxic thing where people are like I gotta cram and like do so much shit. It's like I sleep when don't. I'm dead, and it's like okay, well, uh, no. Please take care of yourself, please. No, I'm uh, worried for you. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of goals do you have for your career or just your life in general, kind of moving forward? I want to be the Seinfeld of animation. Yeah. See, there no. you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Stupid joke. I liked it. It was really good. <laughs> I love running gags. Yes, and. Yes, yes, and not only Seinfeld. Yes, and the I don't know. I want I, I want to create a show that puts good into the world that everybody has a good time working on and makes a shitload of money for the parent corporation. Yeah, that's kind of the that's the thing, right? There's always that little asterisk because it's like, let's be real, like we're we're just trying to make money for people. I, yeah, and you know, I don't even find that an asterisk. Like, yeah, fuck, cool. I want to make a ton of money for a for a corporation yeah. like cool because that means people are watching the show and that mm-hmm. means that like they're selling a bunch of advertising at the upfronts and like mm-hmm. that people are buying consumer products like it's intertwined yeah exactly like you, you cool can... make a bunch of money because that also means that like if you make a make a bunch of money for a corporation for for a big media company that means that they have a lot of money to make other things and you know i'm gonna die in 40 50 years I just and I hope like that the money that we make from this show or whatever show we're working on like supports artists making their own show for the first for the next 40 50 years you know what I mean yeah. and it takes big media companies to do that so like I don't know like yeah I want to make you a lot of money man I yeah. want to do the <laughs> as much money as possible that's a great attitude I think yeah I think it's all intertwined and I and I fully accept I think this idea that people have of like you know art is pure and it's like like I can make stuff on my own and uh, you know be free from all of that but mm-hmm. like it's the audience is going to be limited no matter what unless you're some weird freak of nature that manages to get you know tons of people looking at your stuff and supporting you financially that's like so hard to come by mm-hmm. we're we're all hoping to have somebody just invest in us and anytime that there's investing to be done there's going to be some oversight. There's going to be some network, you know, back and forth and compromise. But like, you'll reach a wider audience, you know, and and it's yeah. and you're going to entertain more people and you're going to make more people happy. And so it's like, can't have one without the other. Yeah, it's like they're they're literally giving you millions of their oh, dollars yeah. Yeah. in order to make something. Like, I I understand that you want to uh, that you want to have some oversight of that. I can <laughs> you know yeah, I can understand. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I understand that, like, you want to give notes. I'm like, it's your money. Yeah, cool, cool. Definitely. Let's let's figure out a way to make the best creative product that we can, you know, meeting in the middle. But, like, yeah, it's your money, man. Definitely. That's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a crap load of money. And it's also, like, other people's livelihoods, you know what I mean? Like, you're, you're, yeah. you're in control of a whole – or not in control. You're, like, you're overseeing a, a whole team of people that are – that I get like ostensibly are looking to you for creative direction. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you gotta, you gotta get your shit on lock, man. You gotta be, you gotta, gotta build that trust. That's an angle that I think a lot of people don't consider when they're going in and pitching shows. And, um, you know, they, they have this idea that they love and they've, it's been in their heads for years and it's like, that's how everything starts. But 
I, I, you know, I've talked to younger artists and stuff and I just, I, I want them to know how much, how much is under that iceberg of like ha just having an idea. Like the idea mm -hmm. is just the tippity top and then everything else is you have to consider all of these factors. And, and if you want to be a showrunner, you got to be ready to just like take punches. You just, you're just taking hits. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and even, and even as a, you know, soup director, even as a director, like it, you're just taking the hits. Like you were saying, you know, you got to take fall on the sword for anytime something goes wrong. And that takes a strong constitution. Like you, you, mm -hmm. got, you got to be tough. I think, I think it also, I don't know. It's, it's also like, you don't, okay, you don't like this joke? Cool, I'll come up with another one. Yeah. You don't like this show idea? Cool, I'll come up with another yeah. one. This one isn't working for you? Oh, we took this one to development, but something happened at the end and you didn't like it? Cool, you know what? I got 10 more ideas and we can work on those together, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I don't know, just just coming back with a smile every single time. Like, let's cool, let's do this. This one didn't work. All right, cool, hit you on the next one. See you see what's up yeah it's a process yeah yeah is there anything you want to plug anything else you want to mention donate to intercity arts if yes. uh if you're interested in donating to a charity mm -hmm. plug nah be excellent to each other i guess that sounds good. that's a good <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna plug being cool i don't know watch big nate when it comes out yeah if you want to or if you don't like it cool don't <laughs> <laughs> like, it's your life man uh, live your truth love what you love yeah you already got paid you know <laughs> you're already getting paid for the work you do you don't need that. You don't I, need that. I've traded my time for money, and I've had it a great time doing it. So if you, I hope you like it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The exchange has happened. Well, that's the end <laughs> of this creative block. Thanks to Jim for being our guest and sharing his story. And thanks to your listeners. Follow us on Twitter. It's at Creative Blog, Creative Without the Vowels, where we ask for drawing prompts and questions to ask our guests. Huge thanks to my sister Clemens for editing the podcast. Please subscribe to the channel if you love our content. I've been your host, Jean. And I was B. Keep being creative, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.